Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we cover the companies, the people, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. And Anne, I don't know about you, but I am, I am so excited. Things look a little bit different already, don't they? Uh, yes, drastically different, not a little bit different. Very different. We are in Tel Aviv um, at the Trigo headquarters, and we are in their demo store. We get a live view of, of the demo store. It's not even that old yet. I think just a couple of weeks old so far. Yeah, and so The technology is in action. We are in a live grocery store, and we are here with an expert yes. on computer vision. And so I am excited today to introduce Daniel Gabay, the founder, CTO, and VP of research and development for Trigo. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's, yeah. it's so great to be here, man. We are so excited. Uh, we are thrilled to talk with you because someone has told me that you are actually what they would call, let me get this right, quote unquote, a supermarket scientist when it comes <laughs> to computer vision. So what is your background? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Why are you an expert in computer vision? So I think most of my background actually comes from the IDF. So in Israel at the age of 18, most of boys and girls recruited the army. And so I had the privilege to go to a special program where I've learned both a first and second degree um, in, in my military service um, and was able to develop sophisticated technologies that um, now transformed to the retail industry, but uh, <laughs> worked on that a bit. And if, and if my memory serves from talking to you previously, like you, you were in a pretty exclusive program in the military too, if I'm not mistaken. Tell, tell the folks uh, watching and listening about that. Yeah, so actually in, in Israel there is a program, um, it's called Talpiot, where all, um, so all of the youngsters in Israel are recruited to the army, but then a group of about 40 from the entire population are chosen um, to be tech leaders, um, where they're getting uh, a lot of skills and, 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 and learning um, scientific degrees, and then they can develop um, different tools that are very important to um, the Israeli security industry. Um, <laughs> and so I've been there for about a decade. Um, and after that, um, and doing a lot of um, things that are relevant to AI, um, have trans we've transformed to doing AI in a retail store. So uh, yeah, so it's really and, and nice being there. And also from uh, here in, in Trigo, there are many people that also came from this program. So we were really privileged to having this very strong tech-oriented um, um, folks in the company. With real-life applications from what in, you were doing previously. Indeed, so everything is about how to take theory into practice okay. and how to do um, the limitation required in order to operate something and, and do it in real life, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're developing some kind of a system, um, for example, in the IDF, you don't need like to theoretically solve something. You need to actually <laughs> prove that it works, and so it's everyday life. So. Yeah, the use cases are probably a little bit higher there in the military yeah, yeah. than they are probably in retail, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. That's a good transition. So, like, let me ask you, because this is, this is the part that's baffled me, right? Like, you can take almost, take a butterfly or, like, uh, a hummingbird, whatever it is. Like, they can fly around the world. They can go wherever the heck they want. They don't bump anything. They don't crash. But yet, supercomputer, trying to under, having a supercomputer try to understand what's out there in the world and what it should see, that's a really complicated challenge. Why is it so hard? Actually, you know, it's really amazing that um, people like have sent like rockets to the moon and, and people have went to the moon and everything. But, but, but in many, many aspects, computer really lack, lack behind almost every animal on Earth, um, even a butterfly, as you mentioned. Yeah. So for a computer to understand images um, is something that till recently was considered almost science fiction. So um, an image is a very complicated task to understand. So if you take an image of so many pixel different, like 
colors um, in every dot in, in space, then you need to understand, for example, what does every pixel mean? And one of the things is that pixel, um, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, one of the things are that in order to understand how every pixel looks like, um, you need to understand maybe the surrounding of every pixel. So a blue pixel doesn't have any meaning at all. But if the surrounding is blue and different colors, maybe this is a part of a sea or some kind of a sky. So it was something that is like the neighbor is what correlates and understands every pixel. That's mm. something really interesting to understand this mm. aspect. And, and, and one of the things that I don't know, until a few years ago, it was considered even science fiction to try to, to understand how every item looks like. The, letting the computer distinguish between a dog and a cat right. was, con was considered like something not realistic. But nowadays, many things have changed. I think from 2012, there was this big revolution in this field. Well, take us through that. I'm curious. So, like you mentioned, the dog. Like I hear that a lot. I remember the dog and the you remember the dog and the blueberry muffin blueberry thing muffin. we were looking yes. at the other day. Like things crazy. But like, where does this all start? So like, you, like. Computer vision seems like it seems really new, but it's probably taken a while to get here. So if we're gonna dig into this, yeah, where did the really really big revolutions in computer vision start to happen? So I think computer vision was always there okay. because trying to understand vision is something really fundamental in connecting computers to everyday life. Okay, but till a few years ago, like seven years ago, there was a very big gap between how we as people understand vision and how computers understand vision. And I think two things really happened a few years ago. First of all, there was under, understanding like something more basic about pictures, understanding about how to correlate a pixel really, really depends in the neighborhood. Um, and, and that was one of the, the issues trying to really understand the images. But the second aspect, that's what really began this AI revolution in 2012, yeah. was something a bit more basic than that. When people tried to teach the computer how every item looks like. For example, people try to teach a computer like, let's classify an orange. Just, just tell me, do I see an orange or, or it's not an orange? People tried to go from images to their understanding and only from there let the computer understand. What I mean is that people have tried to say, okay, I see an orange, this is about this color, is this circle-shaped kind of structure. And, and then you teach the computer, an orange is an orange color in a circle shape. And then if I'll give you a picture of an orange ball, then the computer will fail. Because, and then you say, okay, no, no, this is not an, or an orange. An orange also has this stru structure of an orange, some, something a bit different. And then I can give you another example of an image that will, that will validate those three options and then will not be an orange. So we understand something a bit different than what we think we understand. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something a bit more basic. And, and one of the key things that have changed is people not uh, are not trying to teach the computer how an orange looks like as from what they think it is an orange, but simply by example. And this is artificial intelligence. So intelligence is probably the ability to learn from example and generalize. And this is really what happened three years ago. So currently people try to classify an orange. We've given the computer like 5,000 images of an orange and say, okay, now learn from that. And that's really what happens when like a baby is born um, and it is given, oh, this is the dog, this is the cat, this is, the, and then generalize some kind of an aspect. So I think this is one of the key features that really have changed in recent years. And this entire revolution, like, started only in 2012. And, and so, and, and the main key aspect is called convolution neural network or correlation networks that try to correlate every pixel to another, but let the computer do everything, hmm. all the fancy stuff. Um, and when it just began, it was more about trying to understand what do I see in an enemy. Like, do I see an orange or do I not see an orange? Mm -hmm. That's 
really dramatic, but it has also its limitations because one of the key factors in order to understand vision is also localizing an item in an image. And so only saying, okay, now I see a car in the image doesn't help you to, to develop a self-driving car. Okay. You need to know if the car is in front of you okay. or in some other aspect. Um, and that's one of the things that have really changed through the years now for the other things. So people can, so when we're looking at an image of an orange or a car for that matter, that we're looking at, at it and we know what's in front of us because of the context around, but the computers don't know that yet. They need practice or how, how are the computers learning what's, what the context is around that image? Yeah, so, so it's mainly from examples. So the current stage in AI is that you try to let the computer generalize the entire process because something remarkable just, just happened when you don't try to, to put yourself into the way the computer understands an image. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're giving many examples and the context of your training example needs to be correlated with the context the actual images will later be seen because if not, there'll be this big gap the computer maybe will take it harder to understand. And so teaching the computer different contexts, letting it correlates can make this big difference. Um, so does that mean we don't we don't see like we think we see then? Like if people were trying to train the computers that way, yeah. that's not really how the mind works. Indeed. So no one really knows how the mind works. Right. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about and, that. Yeah. And, and in this aspect, so it's called conversion neural networks inspired okay. by the neural networks of your brain. Now it's okay. not really how the neural networks work in your brain, mm -hmm. um, but the inspiration did come from from how the mind works. So the mind works in many many layers that are doing these small computational parts, but then going one after the other. So people really tried to do something that correlates with what they think the mind works, and this gave this huge revolution in, in, in vision. And, and so doing something very basic of like a very simplified model of what you think the mind can do now generates this entire revolution in self-driving cars, self-automated source, and so on. Um, so really in these aspects, there is those key factors no one really understands. No, that's so wild. So like if I play that back for everyone listening or watching, it's, it's, we think something, but yet it doesn't work that way. And it's only actually through multiple rounds of context, just the context of the item itself. And that, that was the first revolution. Yeah. And then the second piece being, if I heard you right, the second piece being like, okay, what is that item in context with, in context with other things? Exactly. And, and, and then, so the first stage was trying to say, okay, I see an orange. There is a tree in front of me. I right. see a tree. But localizing the tree was really the next step needed mm -hmm. in order to bring that revolution uh, from a few years ago to an everyday life. Mm -hmm. And when, like, at 2014, where the first ideas pop, uh, then people have tried to, to use what they currently have in order to localize. So let's say right. I want to know I'm a butterfly yeah. <laughs> and I want to know <laughs> if I'm going to hit a tree. I need to know where the tree is localized in the image. Right. And so originally when people started thinking about this, I would say, okay, now this is a very complicated task. Let's split the image like to 10,000 small images, like crops, this crops here, crops here, of those all small mini images and run every one of those images in the fancy method that was just developed. Mm -hmm. Do I see a tree or not a tree, a tree or not a tree, a tree or not a tree. Mm -hmm. And then having all of those small crop of the images saying I've now seen a tree, then joining them together and saying, okay, this is probably where the tree is. Right. And, and that was only a few years ago. Yeah. That's really remarkable. Um, and, and this was like a great proof of concept, amazing idea, but not relevant to an everyday task. Right. And not relevant where now we need 
to localize where every every Pringus and, 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 and bottle is in the image. Like I, I can now crop into 10,000 10, of small images and run them all. Right. And, and then the recent years, I think 2016, 17 was this very important, like booming this aspect was how do I do the localization also very fast. Mm. It's how to develop a completely different approach, how to take the image and like singly have those predictions of where items are located. And this is maybe the key aspect that is relevant to many of the things we think of AI. So self-driving cars, okay. in order for a car to drive, um, like you don't need to only say there, there is some, some road and there are cars. You need to really know where they are in order to have the logic in the back end. Okay, now you can drive. So mm -hmm. you can't blindly drive a car. Someone's telling you in the radio, okay, there are some trees in the neighborhood, right? So, so yeah, <laughs> they're around here somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, it's not going to work. But, but that, I mean, that brings up the point too, especially as retail enthusiasts like we are, and we're sitting here in a, you know, yeah. in a mock-up of a grocery store. Like I read all the time. I read about autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars. Like I even can think of articles I've read about Kroger doing tests like, like with Phoenix in Florida around self-driving cars. Walmart's doing tests between their stores with self-driving vehicles. Why do I read about all that? But yet I don't read about anything uh, in regards to say, check out free retail or the use of computer vision in stores in, especially in the United States. Like People don't. People can die driving cars. Retail is about the safest thing you can do. Why? Why? Why is there that gap? I don't understand. Actually, that's a remarkable point. So, um, self-driving car is how everyone now speaks about the, this revolution of AI. But probably the, the automated source will be there much much before the self-driving. Sorry, much before the self-driving cars will will be around. Because when it comes to self-driving cars, the accuracy rate have to be extremely high. Like people can literally get That's killed. Life or death. Yeah. Life or death, really. Now, and, and when it comes to a self-automated store, a friction and shopping okay. experience, now you need to be very accurate. But, but the worst that happens is you get the wrong receipt. <laughs> and, and regarding to our aspect, so you can understand what is the average loss that is in normal retailer. Mm -hmm. And if you'll be like an order of magnitude better than that, you'll be completely in this fluctuation zone of, of like that everyday retail. Um, in, in, in how do you do so? So that's really gives you a very different approach, um, of accuracy needed and, and how it can be fast implemented. And the need and, uh, uh, from customers, from the retailers is huge in this aspect. So actually, I, I think while people are speaking about self-driving cars, the everyday application of AI will be in automated store much before people will see the self-driving car going end to end. Because there's more margin for error. Exactly. Okay. So, um, so what's holding us back then? Why, why do you think that people haven't gone into headfirst? Like, why aren't we going into more? So there are very, very big challenges when you're talking about using AI in a store. So if, if I'll take the analogy to self-driving cars, we spoke about different error rates that are acceptable, but there are many, many differences. So if, you're, if you need to generate a self-driving car, you need to have an, end, um, an ability to understand images, but let's say you have like about 50 to 100 categories. Like you need to know if there is a person in front or an animal or a, or, or a car and so on. And you need to do that extremely accurate. In an automated store, you need to be very accurate, but you need to have thousands of different type of items. Like no one wants to be uh, to, to get a receipt from a different bottle they just bought. So it's a completely different regime in this aspect. So I think in regard to what holds us back, so there are Amazon Go is out there. Right. So it really proves that the technology is capable of doing that. But there are many aspects that need yet to be overcome, so it will be like completely scalable in this approach. So 
Um, one of them concerns, for example, the way we think about the store as a very vibrant place. Mm-hmm. So in a store, for example, items change all the time. Right. Um, and the tools generated with computer vision need to automatically understand that like, like, like the, the, this, um, another, another, there is a rebranding, a new item is in town. So everything is really a vibrant aspect. And those are the kind of things that are now very challenging. Yeah, like you gave the example we were talking earlier just about the holidays alone and how there's holiday versions of Oreos and all these other things <laughs> exactly. that you have to learn at the and they arrive and you don't have much Always time. Changing. Right. Yeah. Like think of a Christmas time. Yeah. When everything changes like very nice Santa Claus and all all of the all of the items and, and the computer needs to understand it very fast and adapt to this change. Now, while computers do need to learn from examples you need to be able to generate this process quite efficiently. So here we, as humans, now understand something a bit more abstract than the current AI. And, 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 and in automated retail, we need to close this gap very fast. So like at the 6 a.m. and the store starts and all of the Santa Claus are now in store, the computer needs to like for a few, after a few minutes, like understand that there is a new situation and, and really re characterizing, really no, reclassifying the images as those, those new Doritos with the Santa Claus inside. So then to that point, yeah, you're right. Like it totally makes sense. Like we can, as individuals, look at a bag of, let's say, Oreos, and I can tell if it's still Oreos, even if it has Santa Claus exactly. on it. Whereas a camera can't, right? right? Which I've never thought about until just now. And like, how do we then go from, so you've got Amazon Go, where, let's say, 3,000 square feet is yeah. roughly. How do we go there from there to say something bigger? What's it going to take? Like, is it, is it, processing speed is it the hardware like what are all the things the retailers and just even in general consumers are going to have to understand as this thing continues to evolve yeah so one of the things really goes to accuracy and amazon go is a great proof concept of like using ai in a retail okay but then if you want to scale up yeah. you don't just want to multiply your solution by like if it's or no, 10 times the store size you don't want to have 10 times more hardware so it all goes to efficiency and how to do that very smart in the way right. that you choose what to calculate, how to do that, every, everything in real time. Um, and see, this is the kind of challenges we are facing, for example. So while small stores have their uh, challenges going that, but going to a very big store, you, you don't want to just linearly grow in hardware. Um, and, and then generating algorithms that are sublinear is a very critical aspect in the way we, and I suppose others, try to approach what, this. What does that mean? What does developing an algorithm that's sublinear mean? I get the part with the hardware. Like, I don't want my hardware to scale up at the same level and pace that my store does. What, is, what, is, what does that mean on the algorithmic? Let's say, for example, that now in a larger score, you have two times more kind of items. Okay. And, and, and you definitely don't want your computational to be two times okay. more demanding. Um, it is fine if you be like five to ten percent more demanding, and you'll, and, and you'll solve this gap with more hardware. But doing that is very, very uh, a very big challenge. This aspect. Never thought of it. so. Your computations have to scale exactly. as you go up in item count. Exactly, because like the hardware of the camera isn't really the issue here. Um, cameras, like for example, we're using basic cameras, off-the-shelf cameras. Like the numbers are really not dramatic. Okay. But the computation in the back end is what you really need to scale when you're going to bigger stores. Does this necessitate too then that you actually probably need to be in the cloud at some point as well? And yes, why is that? Yeah, so for example, one of the things- natural, but just curious. Yeah, so like um, one of the things currently in stores we operate, we ask retailers for a server room. 
And 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 for like um, in doing something with features, yeah, of course I need a server room, but but not every store can operate a server room. And you ask for a server room because you have some limitations. You need some cooling and some different electricity and so on. So next year, for example, we're going to a solution. It is only ceiling based, like no server rooms at all. Everything is passive cooling. Wow. Yeah. But the next, like the next step here after that will indeed be going to cloud because in cloud, there's something really remarkable. You can share your computation between those multiple stores, having this balancing between this entire grid of stores working together. Mm. So, um, this is the current thing we're now working on. It's not yet solved <laughs> in our, our case, but, but it's really something we're very enthusiastic on, on doing because like cloud should be there for a completely scalable approach. Right. So, okay, I'm having those simple, uh, deploying simple hardware in store and then right. going massive. Does that then make your computations in theory faster too, as you get more locations running through things that way and you can start to see what's happening in space in one location versus another and then start to get that sublinear effect? Exactly. Wow. Um, okay. They're learning so, more. Mind yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. And, some, and, and in some locations, for example, if it's a cloud-based solution, in some locations will be daytime and in some locations will be night. So the same computers up on cloud can be used for multiple areas. And sometimes there is a peak, peak time at this point and it's not a peak time at this point. So cloud-based approach is something we truly believe is like the next step. We're now very focused on, on, on generating an approach in source, but like the next here and so we'll be going to cloud. So for the people listening, so it's really about got to make the computations faster. Yeah. You got to think about how you scale the hardware, most likely moving to the cloud, which one helps the other. What else? What else do retailers any, need to do? Any. Retail is very vibrant. It's changing all the time. Every day we have different items. Like, and every day we have rebranding. Re there are thousands of, of, of different type of items in a store, and every day you have something changed. And this entire solution is then very active. It's not like we, we give a system and then go out of the loop. We can't. So all training all the time in the models as, as, as items really evolve all the time. So you have to practice then. Yeah. Like you can't do this without practice. I mean, it almost seems impossible without like getting out there and practicing. Not experimenting, but like practicing. So like two aspects in that. First of all, our, our methods, our, our networks are, are trained daily. Okay. That's something very important into understanding that items have changed and so on. And the second aspect is like we, we really like to be there and really go to actual stores and test things. Okay. Like one of the things we've like realized, so in all of our, de our demo stores, we didn't have any windows. For right. example, then we generate a resource and then we have this perfect lighting condition that was very s similar to one place, one aisle to another and so on. And, and, and then we came, for example, to a Tesco store and it's like huge window, half of the store is a big window. Right. And then lighting changed dramatically. Right. And this is the kind of thing we want to learn from from really active places and all of those different interactions really teach us how to, at, at the first basic steps, what to do now. Like we want to do that much before the store starts to operate to the public. Right. Yeah, that, I think that, that's what sort of blows me mind this whole thing, just going even back to the autonomous vehicle now, just like we're not seeing the, we're not seeing the practice, the practice of trying to develop this muscle, yet you see it with all kinds of different tech. And this tech can be so powerful in the long run, but, You've got to actually get out there and start rewiring, understanding this and, and changing and rewiring how you do it, whether it's Windows or Santa's on Oreos or whatever it is. Exactly. And scaling it appropriately. I yeah. think that's the biggest takeaway for me, too, is like we hear about all of these these options out that are coming out to the market, but we've yet to see them actually 
out Fully and scared. live. And so it sounds like, you know, it's not just as simple as going, I'm going to, I'm going to do this one store and then just increase it a little bit to 7,000 square feet and then 10 and then 20, but that there's a lot more that's going into it than that. Yeah. You're not going to hit it right on the first shot. No one is right. like, it's right. just that complicated. And, and one of, of the things we, 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 we love in Trigo, for example, yeah. is being on the ground. It's experimenting and trying all of those things and really seeing how it really works in, in actual interactions with the system and not how we think it will work or having the actors in our store, for example. So going live is very important. So what advice do you give them? Because you know, that's why we want to spend time with you as the expert with live experimentation going on and live practice going on. What advice do you give them to retailers? Like if you're thinking about this, what are the advantages they need to be taking advantage of as they go forward to make this work? So I, I think um, retailers do need to understand that there will be some, some, some kind of changes at the first step. Okay. For example, um, when items now go into a store, for example, having some kind of feedback saying that now some, something has changed. So, or, or items are changing the areas or, or, or things are never changing. So we're working together in the store okay. and trying to solve it like as a team yep. in this aspect. Um, but regarding to retailers, I suppose retailers will see it more and more, like in the coming years, so in, in major cities and then in other places and so on. And, and people will be more involved in this kind of an experience worldwide. Mm -hmm. Where does it work best right now? Like for what type of product categories does, do the systems we're talking about, where are they most developed right now? I think for, let's say, an items that are, are about the same shape and as always. So for example, a box is something that is is, is way more soluble than having this, this bag of apples that looks differently every time. Mm -hmm. um, and so AI really enables you to generalize this aspect. So if you go back to the dog and the cat example, like the computer could see so many different dogs and then have a prediction to a completely new dog no one has seen before and say, no, this is a dog. So you need to have this kind of abstract layer in order to understand now this is um, a bag of apples mm -hmm. that no one had ever seen that before. But the kind of, um, I don't know, um, um, a Coca-Cola bottle yeah, is exactly the same. Right. Yeah. So there are so different kind of, of things, but now we're really focused on that. So develop your practice through many of the CBG products, which many of the grocers already carry, leverage that to the fact that, you know, to, to try to understand how this can work. Exactly. And you probably, how much is risk taking into this too? I got to think that's a factor in the sense of, like you said before, like, Generally speaking, I mean, inventory accuracy in a store is like 60% in any given day of the week. Like, you, you can't be, as part of this just being like not afraid to stick to the practice, like as a dentist trying to work on teeth for the first time, shout out to my wife at home who's a dentist, but I imagine that was scary for her the first time, but like here you're just trying to learn how to do it. Yeah, and, and we like to be completely transparent and, and, and work together with the accuracy matrices that, that we both care about okay. and how to improving that. But it's really about practicing and showing and comparing, for example, to as we have a prediction, as someone goes and, and, and the system gives a prediction of the entire shopping list at the end, we match it to the expected shopping list as currently like in a shadow mode working store mm -hmm. and having those matrices as telling us together what we need to focus on and what is the current rate. And sharpen it over Yeah, time, exactly. Just as we talked about in the exactly. Interesting. Well, that was wild. That was totally fun. <laughs> I mean, mind-blowing stuff too, especially as the stuff on the computer vision in terms of like how our mind, right? It's, it's like how never, we see things. I've never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. And how, how a computer. That's why you always yeah. see things differently than I do. Is that why? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Are you ready? We do this with all of our guests. 
Yes, we're gonna play. How millennial are you? Are you ready, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, there's bets in the office on how well you're That's gonna right. do. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So our listeners and viewers are very familiar with this, but it's just really a question to see how curious of mind you are, not how old you are, or how young you okay. are. But uh, we're gonna start with our first couple of questions here. So, Daniel, when the option is available in a grocery store, not like this one, but we'll say the the traditional grocery store of today. Uh, and you're going to go check out. Are you paying with your credit card or are you using a mobile wallet? Ah, credit card. Credit, credit card, card. Why? Yeah. It's a regular. Is there that? Yeah. yeah it's just a regular. pattern. Yeah. Your pattern. Yeah. You're, you're just a creature of habit. Yeah. 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 So you're developing automated checkout systems, but you still pull out the credit card every time you shop. Indeed. Wow. <laughs> that is the biggest irony in the history of Omnitar. I love it. I love because it, Because I think one of the things yeah. is, is some, maybe sometimes in the friction. Right. So even... Today, for example, maybe in Israel, I don't know if it's no, right, yeah, yeah. But, but like, it's still not, not as smooth. Like, there's so all those operations, like credit cards sometimes is much more easy. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, like, you would just go with cash then? Cash is too, too yeah. much friction too in much cash, friction. but I'll take yeah. out the credit card. Credit card, yes. yeah. Only but holding my phone over, I can't do that. I can't <laughs> yes. do that. That's fascinating. Okay, next question. All right. Um, in the last week, how many times have you ordered coffee or food or beverages through an app daily daily okay <laughs> what are you ordering <laughs> all of the food, <laughs> all of the food. <laughs> everything you're an engineer what do you use what we don't go what apps do you use to do that and tell so you? we have a uh, local apps um okay. relevant 10 and other kind of local apps that are used Okay. For that, it's very popular nowadays. Yeah. Okay. Is is uh, crowdsourced food delivery pretty popular here? Yeah. Is it pretty prevalent? Yeah. Yeah, it's getting pretty big in the states too. Um, okay. Last question: If you could use only one social app for the rest of your life, which app would it be, and why would you choose that? <laughs> so then, that's where I think I'm old because I use Facebook, and I recently okay. realized. But all of the young people are using Instagram and all of the other aspects. So yeah, and all of my friends are on Facebook. So okay, that's pretty awesome. You are so the, you are the first person that said Facebook. I think in the history Maybe. of Omnitalk. Maybe yeah, you <laughs> might that's be possibly true. for messaging too. Um, like messaging is WhatsApp, but okay. Uh, WhatsApp. Okay. Yeah. I thought you'd say LinkedIn. I had you pegged for LinkedIn. Uh, I, I have LinkedIn, regular, but uh, right? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, speaking of that. If people are interested in this conversation, they know you're an expert now, hopefully know you're an expert in this field in computer vision. If people want to pick your brain, they want to learn more, have questions about, okay, how do I think about this today versus a year from now, three years from now? Like, how do they get in touch with you? So either Facebook or LinkedIn will be really great. Okay. Um, so yeah, both of them. And spell your name for them too, just so we so, they know how uh, to find Daniel, you. So Daniel, uh, D-A-N-I-E-L, Gabay, G-A-B-A-Y. Awesome. So yeah. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for having us. This has been a blast. It's been great to sit down with you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it's great. It's so inspiring to be here in the space where some of, this, some of this practice is actually starting to happen. So we can't thank you enough for spending time with us. On behalf of Anne, myself, thank you so much. And to all our loyal listeners out there and watchers, be careful out there. <laughs>